Can we bow our heads together and in God's presence, let us pray. Lord God, we thank you indeed for the privilege once more of coming into your presence, of knowing that you are here. We thank you indeed that you have spoken already through your word and through the hymns that we have sung. We pray that you would continue to speak and give us all ears to hear and hearts that are quick to respond. Amen. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a place where your knees were knocking. Well, I found myself in that sort of place a few times, but one I remember very well was back in college. In, uh, in college when we were training for the ministry. And uh, we trained, uh, us Methodists trained with the Presbyterians uh, uh, together in the Union Theological College down in Belfast. And one particular class comes to mind. It was our preaching class, homiletics, preaching. And what we had to do, at least for one aspect of that class, was we were were given something practical to do. They give us a passage... They give us a context, like it was either a normal service or it was a special mission service or it was a children's or youth service. So they give us the passage and they give us the context and then they told us to preach. And we had a little lectern like this, but instead of a congregation made up of people from different places, sitting in front of us, in front of me when it was my turn was our lecturers and the rest of the students who were also doing the class and that wasn't the worst bit because they'd all been told that after the sermon of course they had to critique it in other words they were there with their pens I hope I was there anyone there with their pens tonight <laughs> Looking for a mistake or a problem or or a reference that isn't right. Gary, I hope you're not trying that. (laughs) They had their pens and they had their sheets in front of them. What do you think out of ten for his illustrations? Oh dear. But do you know, that's not even what had my knees knocking. What had my knees knocking was the... Something else. It wasn't even the lecturers. wasn't the students with their forms. It was what was parked right in front of me in the aisle. A video camera. <laughs> oh dear. I don't know about you, but do you like your photo being taken? No, not at least unless you've had about 20 minutes to get yourself right. <laughs> and get your comb out and do a wee bit of a chain. Oh, make sure that there's no bad mark. No, I don't like getting my photo taken too much either. Neither do I like being videoed. And I certainly don't like being videoed when I'm going to have to be forced to sit 
and watch it as it's played back. And everybody look at it and go, oh, well, see the mistake he made there. I don't know about you, but I'm not overly happy about having my mistakes pointed out to me by a video camera or anyone else. Let me take you now to another scene, another picture. Not, a, not Union Theological College in Belfast, but somewhere in the future. Somewhere when all of our deeds, all that we do, or have done, all that we have said, But not only that, all that we have thought is laid bare in front of us by a holy and perfect God. A God who loves us, but yes, a God who in his goodness, perfection and righteousness cannot abide selfishness. Rebellion, or that little word, sin. That is one of the pictures that as we read through Paul's picture, his letter of the Romans that he presents. It's a sort of picture of a courtroom scene. It's one where, well, one where we know what's coming. If we're honest with ourselves. But let me even step back from that a little bit. Because I don't want to paint a picture of a courtroom and a judge who is uncaring. Or impersonal. Or someone who simply sits and lays a ruler across our lives and goes, "Mm, not sure how far they have come. No, God's justice, his righteousness, isn't something just out there, isn't just sort of a, well, a quality. It's to do with who he is. It is God. Because it flows out of his heart of love. God is love. God's love and his righteousness, his justice go together hand in hand. The two are not there struggling against each other. But one flows naturally from the other. How how do I mean? Well, as a father. As a parent. When I see one of my children being hurt. Or when I see one of my children, which happens sadly on occasion, hurting the other. Do I get angry? Yes, I do get angry. I don't sit there and think, oh, that's okay. Sure, pull the hair off of each other. That's all right. That's no problem. I love you both. No, God isn't a cold, uncaring judge. Don't think that this evening. But please also don't think as some people might fool themselves into thinking this evening when we're 
come to think about forgiveness. That God really isn't concerned. He just forgives like that. And, and it's no big deal. Forgiveness and the idea of forgiveness as we will consider more tonight. Isn't something that the church dreamt up. Yes God is love as we hear in 1 John. But his love is not incompatible with his justice and his righteousness. Actually, one flows out of the other. Because God's love and his love for all that he has created. And his love for you and his love for me. Demands that he gets angry at certain things. What type of loving father, loving parent... Would not get angry with some of the things that goes on in this world. God loves us all. But God is perfectly just. And as Paul says here in our Romans passage that we heard read tonight. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. It's not a nice word to hear, is it? If Paul had said, most people, I might have went, if he'd said, the majority, I might have went, oh, well, I must be in the minority then. Or if he'd said, even nearly everyone, if he'd just put that word nearly in there I would have brushed the the, the perspiration off my brow and thought that's okay because he means mostly that lot out there because oh boy I know I I know a few of them and yeah they do need to be forgiven but Paul doesn't say that Paul says all that's me that's you the way I like to, to think of it is, well, I don't know if this helps you or not. But God has set his standard. And God's standard is an amazing one. God calls us, in a sense, to jump to the stars. To jump to his perfect glory. My son likes to jump. He likes to run and he likes to jump. And he can jump pretty well for a six-year-old. I can jump a bit higher. Well, my legs are longer, aren't they? But that extra few feet don't make an awful lot of difference when you think of the distance between here and the stars, do they? That is God's perfect standard. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God in his perfect love and righteousness can't simply ignore our rebellion and our sin. Whether it be in our attitudes and in our thoughts. Or whether it be in our deeds and our words. Our greed, our pride, our selfishness. God can't simply pretend they're not there. He can't gloss over humanity's rebellion. As if just turning a blind eye to it will make it better. 
any more that I could just turn a blind eye to a problem that my son or my daughter had and think, well, maybe it'll just get better. Maybe it'll be okay in the end. God cannot turn a blind eye because it is who he is. In perfect love, in perfect justice, he cannot simply sweep our sins under the carpet. As we come this evening to think about forgiveness on this special evening, this evening when we remember the cross, Let's not pretend that the matter of sin, our inherent brokenness, is anything other than a deep and immense problem. A problem that causes lasting pain and hurt. We just have to look at our world. Oh yes, of course we like to to think we're not as bad as all that. But our world tells us otherwise. Because if we think that the state of the world is just due to other people, we're getting it wrong. We're involved just as much as others are. So let's not pretend and give ourselves the the get out clauses. Well, sure, none of us are perfect. Let's just forget it. Let's just put it to one side. For the truth is that the forgiveness that you need, that I need, that we all desperately require, is of a quality and a quantity beyond anything that we can do or dream up. We can't help ourselves. Oh, Yes, of course, people have tried to dream it up and have tried to help themselves. People through morals and ethics, through religion, have sought to jump that bit higher for God. Oh God, look at me, I'm going further than him over there, aren't I? And you know... Some people, yes, some have jumped pretty high, at least by our standards. Viewed here from earth, we look at them and think, wow, what a good person. But viewed from the stars, their jumps still fall far short. Perhaps... Some of the best jumpers of all were the Jews themselves. For they, of course, didn't just have man-made ethics or good ideas about how to live well, how to live good. They had the actual truth. They had the God-given law. Surely that was enough. And if we'd have read just a few verses before our passage, we discovered that Paul wouldn't have been overly chuffed with him. Paul, a Jew himself, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, 
Someone who kept it strictly. Paul says to them, his own compatriots. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Let me go back to my little picture of trying to jump to the stars. The law gives us the trajectory. It gives us the route. It sets us in the right direction. It says, there, go that way. That's the right direction. But do you know what it doesn't do? It doesn't give us the energy. It doesn't give us the thrust to actually go there. In fact, in the end, by pointing us in the right direction, it actually can make us feel worse. Because it points us in the right direction, but we can't do it. We can't make it. As hard as we try and as much as we jump, we don't get any further. This evening, as we meet and we remember the cross, We remember, as Paul says, that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We've heard the bad news. We've heard the news that we cannot, in our own strength, be the people that God demands that we must be now we hear the good news the gospel that God sent his only son that we might be forgiven as we look to the cross this evening let's not pass too quickly by For here at the cross was the most powerful act of love. The most costly act of grace that there ever has been or ever will be. And as one Christian author, Timothy Keller writes, Jesus didn't have to die despite God's love. He had to die because of God's love. And it had to be this way because all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. In other words, all real, deep, powerful love comes at a cost. Real love hurts. Any love that doesn't hurt isn't love at all. It's some sort of picture of love. It's some sort of romantic notion. It's a fluttering of the heart perhaps. But it isn't love. Because love costs. Ask any parent. The years that is given. Freely. Lovingly. To children. Ask any person in a long relationship. Ask any husband. Any wife. Is there a cost? Yes, there's a cost. Of course there's a cost. We know there is a cost. 
And there is a cost for God's love. On Good Friday, God bore the cost. God's love and justice. God himself, Father, Son and Spirit, acting as one. Choosing to take the pain and the hurt and the judgment upon himself. That's what forgiveness is. When we think of forgiveness, sometimes we say, oh, forgive and forget. But we know that doesn't really happen like that. What we really mean is forgive and choose to remember in a way that doesn't continue to bring it up and hold it over someone. The only way we forget, forget, is if we bang our head against a wall and we have amnesia. No, the forgiveness, real forgiveness, comes at a cost. It comes at a cost even in our human relationships when we say, I choose to forgive. I choose not to hold this against you anymore. It's a choice. And at times a very difficult choice. But that's the choice that God made on Good Friday. In fact he made it long, long time before. And that is what happens when Jesus walks the way of pain of Calvary. I love driving around this time of year. Uh, I'm, I'm from Belfast, as probably most of you know. So I, I'm still one who's driving along. Uh, and may, I don't know, you're maybe used to it, but I'm still driving along. They go, oh, look at the little lambs. Look at them playing. Look at that. You're, you're I don't know, maybe you still have the, you have the same still reaction that I have. But, but I slow down a little bit. And I go, oh, look at them. Aren't they sweet? And I see them prancing around in the field. And, uh, and I don't think of all the time it takes for many of you to spend to, bring them, to help bring them into this world. And all of the hardship and the l- lack of sleep and stuff. I just think, oh, don't they look cute? But lambs playing joyfully without a care in a world. That's not what John says means when he he presents a picture in our gospel reading tonight when he says, look, and points to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No, John isn't thinking of lambs playing prancing around in a nice green field. He's thinking of a very much more sobering sight. He's thinking of a lamb slain, his blood spilt. The word that is used here in the Greek, as Paul brings it out in our passage tonight, is, well, helastron. And it, it, it talks about the mercy seat. That place at the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was shed of the sacrifices to cover the people's sin.
But even as I looked at the passage, my mind went to another scene. Uh, A time before the temple was even built. To a father making his way up a hill. The hill was called Moriah. And the father was Abraham. And with him he had his only son. Isaac. And they had a big pile of wood. And at the top Isaac and said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Because Isaac knew what way things were meant to be. Where's the lamb, Dad? Where is it? And I picture Abraham with a tear in his eyes, choking it back and saying, God will provide. Of course, Abraham had in his mind what God had told him. Isaac would be that lamb. I don't know how Isaac felt as his dad bound him with rope and put him on that, on that place. But couldn't have been very good. As Abraham lifted the knife, what went through his heart and his mind... The pain of it all. The confusion. And yet. This was God who told me. God who I trust. And just before. The knife came down. It was God who intervened. And said Abraham no. And it was God who provided. A ram caught in the thicket. And it was God who all those years later would provide a lamb. What Abraham was asked to do but prevented from doing, God himself did. He bore the cost for us. A childhood accident caused poet Elizabeth Barrett To lead a life of semi-invalidity. I knew I was going to stumble over that word. She wasn't very well. She married Robert Browning in 1846. In her youth, Elizabeth Barrett had been watched over and not treated very well by her father. He was oppressive. Abusive. So when she and Robert were married... They had their marriage in secret. And her father disapproved. After the wedding, Elizabeth and Robert went to Italy where they made their home and they made, they set up their their home and they, they lived the rest of their lives. Never to go back to America. But Elizabeth kept writing back to her parents. On a weekly basis, she wrote them letters to try and renew their relationship. Sadly, after 10 years of writing, she got a parcel in the post. When she opened it, she found a big box. And in that box was every one of her letters unopened. 
Elizabeth tried to restore her relationship, forgive her father. But he wasn't willing. Friends, forgiveness is paid for at the cross. The way is open. Jesus has done it for us. But I want to say two quick things tonight. Forgiveness has been paid for, but it needs to be received, opened, and enjoyed. That's three things, isn't it? Anyway, received, opened, and enjoyed. On Monday evening, I said that my favorite Bible passage was the prodigal son. And I shared how, if you read the story, the father runs to meet the son as he makes his way home. He, he, he brings dishonor on himself as he runs, think, forgetting about everyone else, focused on the son. But of course, the son also had to turn around. If he'd have remained in the pigsty, he'd never have felt the father's embrace. The father was truly willing to forgive. The father's arms were open. But if he'd remained in the pigsty, he would never have felt the embrace. Forgiveness has to be received and opened. And we do that when we trust in Jesus. You know, in many ways it sounds all too simple. Trust in Jesus. You don't have to know the Bible cover inside out. Each and every verse. You don't have to be able to quote this reference or that reference. What you need tonight. What I need. What we all need. No matter what age we are. Is to trust in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who has done it for us. Verse 22 of our passage from Romans, I bring you back to it tonight, says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. When we place our trust in Jesus... When we look to the cross and what Jesus has done. When we come to him asking for his grace and forgiveness and mercy. God gives it. It flows into our lives. God makes us leap to the stars. He brings us close to him. As we think of the cross this evening, I would be in error if I didn't ask the question. Are you sure that you have received God's forgiveness this evening? Have you opened your hands and your heart to what God wants to give you? Have you, like Elizabeth Barrett's uh, parents, have you received a letter? And are you thinking, do I open it or not? If I open it, it means change. It comes at a cost. It means change. Or am I content where I am? I know it's almost Easter. We're nearly there. But for a second, can I bring you back to Christmas? 
Yeah, I know. Where am I going with this? Well, again, as a parent, I know how gifts that are given can quickly be discarded and forgotten. I've found many Christmas presents under beds, in cupboards, out in the garden actually getting rained on. I'm going to be very Methodist for a minute and tell you two of the, two of the four alls of Methodism. One is that all people can be saved. Another is that all people can know that they are saved. That they can know that they are saved. Forgiven. Accepted by God. Perhaps in the past you have received God's forgiveness. You know it. Deep down in the back it's a memory somewhere. But you haven't really cherished it and kept it right there in front of you enough. Perhaps it's sort of been put into the box room. It's gathering dust a little bit. You don't lose it. But it's there and, and it's not doing what God wants it to do in your life. Because you have those fears. You have that anxiety. You have those thoughts that say, am I really forgiven? Does really God accept me at all? And you have no assurance. This evening, if that is you, then God says, be assured. When we give our life to Christ, he forgives us and he keeps us. But do get that forgiveness, that relationship with God back out into the open. Dust it off. Dust it off. Because otherwise, if you don't, when the enemy comes and tells you lies, you might believe them. Friends, forgiveness needs to be accepted. I hope we've done that tonight. But it also needs to be enjoyed, it's savoured, it needs to be it needs to be lived in. God wants us to do that. He wants to, us to enjoy the freedom of forgiveness. Because tonight isn't just about Easter or Good Friday. This is a story that should be lived every day. Because knowing Jesus doesn't just make a difference. <coughs> knowing Jesus makes all the difference. Let's pray. Lord God, we come into your presence again, even as we have sat and listened to your word. We pray that you would continue to move in our hearts. Lord God, for those who may be trying to jump themselves to reach the stars. 
perhaps doing a reasonable job of, of looking good. Lord God, I pray tonight that you would touch and bring your love that they need not be trying to jump in their own strength anymore but surrender to you and trust in Christ. Lord, for any who have received your love letter, your offer of forgiveness, but perhaps it's in a drawer, thinking I'll open it later, perhaps. Lord, I pray that you would speak tonight and bring them to the place where That letter is opened and received joyfully, humbly. And Lord, for those of us who have opened your letter, we know your forgiveness and yet perhaps it's grown a little dusty. It's not been enjoyed as much as it should be. Lord, in your mercy, help us To put it at the center of our lives again. Help us. To get back into contact with you in the right way. To put you first. And to enjoy the freedom. And the forgiveness. And to know that assurance. That you want to give us. That we are yours. And that you are ours. Lord, we ask these things not because we deserve them, but through the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.